Good to see you this morning. Would you stand with me and join us as we begin our service with thank you, Lord. I come before you today. And there's just one thing that I want to say. that I cannot see. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. With a grateful heart, with an outstretched voice, with an outstretched arm, I will bless your name. Thank you, Lord. I just want to and gave me your light. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You took my sin and my shame. You took my sickness and healed all my pain. It's thank you, I will bless your name. Thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. It's a joy to have you here this morning. We welcome you. We're excited to have those that are visiting with us and trust that all of us will be blessed uh, by the Lord and being here in his presence today. Uh, we have a number of things that are taking place in our service this morning, and we would like to begin with a focus on Togo, West Africa. Um, as many of you know, Grace Baptist sent Harry and B. Ward uh, almost 25 years ago uh, to Togo. And this morning, we're going to, uh, if you can direct your attention to the screen, we're going to be uh, inter- uh, uh, Andrew Ward, their son, who's our current missionary, he and, he and Mary. He's going to introduce our special guest uh, that's going to speak with us in just a few minutes. And uh, we're excited to have Roger Fetou with us this morning. So, Andrew Ward. Hello, greetings from Togo. I wish I could be there with you right now, but it's my pleasure to introduce to you Roger. Uh, He's worked with us all the 10 years that we've been in Togo and for several years with my parents as well. Those of you who've been to the Christian school trips uh, will remember him and his ministry that he's done uh, for the Christian schools over several years. And... Uh, The Christian school ministry has grown significantly over the last few years and it's Roger and and his team who work tirelessly to make sure that the Bible is taught and the gospel is proclaimed to the students in Togo 
and uh, now we have approximately 5,000 students represented among over 20 Christian schools. And so it's my great pleasure to introduce to you Roger Fatou. Hello, I am Roger Fetou, living in Togo, West Africa, and I'm glad to introduce you the school, Christian School Ministry here in Togo. We have more than 20 schools in all Togo, more than 5,000 kids who we are impacting every day with gospel and God's words. I am working with ASEL, the Association of Schools in Light. We train more than 200 teachers. We encourage them. We provide curriculum for them and materials for teaching. We help them to understand why and what they are doing in the schools. We also help them to understand why we need or why Christian schools are needed in Togo. And we meet also with pastors to help them to understand and follow us in this ministry. This past three years, I'm working in with one school in the north. This school is in a Muslim area. And as you know, Muslims are very, very difficult to talk to about Jesus. But I thank God, God opened doors to me and they came to my office and I get time to talk to them about Jesus. And one parent accepts me to pray with him. And I thank God for that. And I want God to give me more wisdom and knowledge to continue helping them. Many parents called me, thanking me about how kids' life is changed throughout our school. And we thank God for that. Our schools are different from other schools because one can see how our teachers show Jesus' love to these kids. They teach with love. They, they value kids. And we try to understand kids' problems and help them. We pray with them. Also, we are teaching some verses and some Bible stories. Exceptionally, we have some kids who accepted Jesus. And last, last year, a child came to me telling me that, teacher, I'm happy to, be, to become a Christian. And I asked him how. He told me that through teaching, through what is going on in school, he accepted Jesus. He realized that he's, he's a sinner. He needed Jesus, and he did it. That was very, very amazing for me. And we thank God for that. Thank you very much for having me this morning here. Uh, as you see it, my name is Roger Fetou. I come from Togo, West Africa. I'm just here this morning to thank Grace Bible Church for everything that church did for us. The church sent B. Ward and her husband 20, more than 20 years ago. And when they were there, the Christian Schools Ministry started in 2004 and many 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 teams people came to Togo to help us I can say some like Sherry Puff, Sherry Bless, uh, Tracy, Sherry Halley and Amy many 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 people came I can't call them all here I just want to thank God for their lives 
they help us in Togo know what is Christian school, what is to teach in a Christian school. They help us with a curriculum. They did a lot of things with us. They help us train more than 200 teachers, as I said. And I just want to thank Grace Bible Church for that. My second step is to tell you that the seeds you planted in Togo is growing. It become a tree, and the tree is giving fruits now. And we thank God for that because when we started, we started with only 13 schools. Now we have 20 elementary schools and five middle schools. And it's growing. And we started with at, at 1,200 kids. Today we have more than 5,000. I can say 6,000 kids in our schools. And when we started, we started in Lome and Palime. Now we are, we are in Lome, Palime, Adeta, Atakpame, Kara, and Mango. We are Mango in the north. And there, it is only Muslim, a Muslim area. Only Muslims are there. And we thank God. God is working hard. And they accepted us, and we are friends. We are doing a good job. In that school there, we have 286 kids listening to God's word every day, and parents come to school. I just want to thank you very much for that, because I know we think churches are doing good, yes. But when you see how schools are and what schools are doing, I believe strongly that schools are the best tool now to reach people. Because you can't have a Muslim parent in the church, but we have them in the school. They come to us. We pray for them. We pray with them. We have Muslim kids. We have non-believers kids in our schools. We can't have them in our churches. Then I thank you for that. And I want you to finish to be along, aside, alongside of us to continue this ministry. Because since Madame uh, B. Ward and Ari left, schools belong now to Togolese. That's why we have the association, ASEL, Association of Schools in the Light. And I was obliged to join a mission, IGM, International Gospel Missions uh, Baptist Agency. Through that mission, I'm here uh, to be able to see you, to thank you, and to tell you what is going there, what is going in Togo. Togo is growing through your prayers, through your support, through everything you are doing. But we still have needs. We still have to go far away. We still have Middle West, which is not reached. There are Muslim people there. We need to go there. We still have Southeast, where gospel is not there. We need to be there. We need to... To, to follow the, the, the churches there to help them and bring these kids to Jesus because the Bible tells us to let kids come to Jesus. We have to handle ourselves and bring these kids to, to Jesus. As I told you, the ministry belongs to Togolese. We need your prayers. Thank you for praying. We know that we are, you are already praying for us. And I want you to continue praying. I want you to continue praying that God provides finances for ourselves to be able to go in schools every day, every time to help teachers. We need 
about 1,500 HMEN to, to be able, because I said we, ha we are four on the team to go in all the schools. We need you to pray for God to provide. We need all those money for teachers, to train teachers. Most of our teachers left to go to public schools. We have only new teachers now in our schools. We have to coach them. We have to train them. We have to be alongside of them to show them how to do and what to do. Then it, 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 we need some money for that. If we can, we can get 800 HMEN, it can help us to do that. And we need to meet with pastors every time to help them, every time to help them, to, to pray with them, to let them know what is going on, and then they can uh, be on our side. And we need that. We need also your prayer for summer meetings. Every summer we have to, to get all the teachers for a seminar. Sometimes we do four days. We need you to pray for us to get that money to be able to do that. We do for primary uh, elementary teachers first, and we do for middle teachers also aside. Then we need your prayers. If God can help us get 12,000 for primary a year to get to meet them together, to see what they are passing through in their schools, to share the different experiences that will help us. For middle teachers, we are writing curriculum for middle schools. Then they meet for two weeks, one week, a seminar one week to write the, the curriculum and we need about $4,000 a year to do that for them and keep the ministry going on. And I thank you very much for having me this morning. I'm very happy to see you all and thank you for the love you have for Togo. I know you love, you really love Togo. Thank you for loving so much Togo. So I want you to know that whenever I brought your name up and people heard that you were going to be here, faces lit up. Thank you. My wife shares testimony. There are folks visiting this morning because they heard that you were here because you've touched lives. Thank you for your testimony of how a seed planted, training educators, training teachers, is changing the culture yes. of Togo and an understanding of what education can look like. And you have been a vital instrument in that. And so can we give thanks to the Lord for what he's doing in Togo and for a faithful servant this morning? Can you let him know? Would you all join with me as we pray for our brother and for that ministry? Father, thank you so much. There is a bond that brothers and sisters in Christ feel with one another. Often we've met one for the first time. Thank you for Roger and his life bears the aroma of Jesus. Thank you for lives that have been touched. Thank you for hearts that have been drawn to you through the gospel, through educating educators, through teaching children. Jesus, I think I've read somewhere in the gospels that you place a high value on how children are treated and that you welcome them to yourself. So 
Lord, together we do pray that you will provide the funds. We pray for the finances. We pray for open doors to take this vision of what education can be and should be to the flourishing of a country. Lord, we pray that you will raise up teachers. We pray that you'll raise up gifted people to train those teachers and for lives to continue to be transformed. And Lord, as as we've celebrated this morning, as light has pierced through the darkness, even in the Muslim culture, God, we give you praise and we give you thanks. And Lord, together, we lift up our brother, Roger. We pray that you will refresh and encourage his heart as he seeks to refresh and encourage others in what you're doing to the glory of your name and the furtherance of your gospel. We pray for his health. We pray for protection as he travels. Lord, we pray for grace to his family um, and those that he is away from right now. And thank you for the joy and the privilege that we have of being with him this morning. God, we give you all the glory and all the praise. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Roger, thank thank you. you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Roger. I would like to... Uh, I got a text from Mike uh, just a minute ago that if you want to give financially to uh, specifically the travel expenses, there's a box back on the table that you can give to. And then if you are interested in giving to uh, the ministry there in Togo, of course, uh, we support Andrew and Mary. But if you're interested in giving to that, I know that you can go online or get in touch with the church office and you can give uh, to that ministry uh, and some of the, the projects that they're working on specifically. Sorry, Kelly. In the In the foyer afterwards to meet with you guys. The reason that Adam is not here is because Adam has boarded a plane. We wanted you to know that he's on his way to Dubai and then eventually to Thailand. And I think he's going to meet up with Todd Itner as well. Like this is a full trip. So he's going to be gone for the next couple of Sundays. And so um, he's asked myself and Roger, uh, Roger, Steve Faulkner to, to fill in for him. So I'll be doing John 12 this morning. And um, Steve will be doing John 13 next week. Um, So be praying for Adam. Be praying for him as he travels. Uh, Be praying for Kelly and the family back here. Um, And um, let's pray for our body as well. There's a lot of sickness going around and just got word of some others that are, are sick. There's different ones in our body who are hurting. They're facing different trials, different challenges. And so let's pray for one another. Grab that prayer list. And maybe even as you look at the prayer list in the bulletin, maybe you identify one person there that this week you could reach out to, encourage, whatever the case may be. And let's, let's pray for one another. Um, but it's good to be with you this morning. Um, one last thing. I've got some Easter tracts out on the table back there. If you would like one to take, read it. Take some, pass them out. This is the opportunity to make much of Jesus as Easter approaches the end of this month. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this morning. Pray your blessings on our time as we gather to worship for your glory and for our joy. Lord, build us up as a body. Thank you for those that are watching this morning who can't be here but desire to be a part of what you're doing. Spirit of God, would you minister? And would you give us a clear, clearer vision of Jesus and what it means to be his follower this morning? It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Kelly. Uh, The Psalms encourage us to uh, praise the name together of the Lord, and for his name alone is to be exalted. So let's do that this morning as we sing the hymn, All Creatures of Our God and King. Would you stand with me, please?
creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. like a lion he's glad has a 
We thank you that we don't have to walk alone, that you're there with us. You carry us, Lord. We're thankful that, as the, as the words say, your healing is in your hands. We're thankful that you're in control of all. Oh, praise him. Oh, praise him. Hallelujah. We sing to you this morning, Lord, for it's in Jesus' precious name and mighty name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Would you turn with me to John chapter 12? How do we, how do we prepare our hearts for the approach to this, this Easter, this season where we remember the death, the burial, the resurrection of our Savior. We're going to stay with the study in the Gospel of John as Pastor has been leading us, and we're going to spend most of our time this morning in the first few verses of John 12, and then we'll hit some highlights for the rest of it. But here's, here's what I've seen as I've, I've pondered this, this passage, and as we think about the, the week and the days preceding the crucifixion. The closer we get to the cross, and the more prominent the the message of the cross and why Jesus came, the more clearly hearts are revealed that have associated with or celebrated Jesus. And we're going to see that in this passage this morning. Because for some, the closer we get to the cross, the more it evokes worship. And for others, the closer we get to the cross and the message of the cross, it evokes something else. It puts a calling on a life that is rejected because it's not either not understood or not welcome. So what's happening below the surface is brought to light. This is a, a passage that... Um, it's very precious to many of us. And so it's very sobering to walk into this and, and with a heart to convey the beauty of Christ put on display in this passage, but also a very stark contrast in response to Jesus, to his message. There were plenty who aligned with Jesus that when it came to this moment, began to back away, walk away. Why? Are there some, even as we think about this this morning and as we think of our day, why are there some who seem to launch well, 
who make a profession of faith, but then when the crisis comes, or when a clear understanding of God's call on our life and what it means to be a disciple comes, they walk away. They reject. Why does that happen? How does that unfold? And so we want to tackle that this morning too. It's one thing to associate with Jesus. It's another thing to gladly abandon all to follow him. Some of this comes from a challenge of a, a, a book I'm reading on discipleship called Disciple Shift. Um, let me just read you this, this paragraph because I find this fascinating. One problem today is that our churches are full of Christians, in quote, Christians, but not disciples. And yes, there's a significant difference. In the early church, the first followers of Jesus were called disciples. Later, they were labeled as Christians, not they labeled themselves, but they were labeled by unbelievers as Christians because of their association with Christ. But the Bible never instructs us to make Christians, not in today's loose cultural sense of the word, in which more than a large percentage of Americans claim to be Christian. This is what grabbed me. The Bible refers to disciples around 270 times, but to Christians, just three. So the focus... So a focus on discipleship is the first overall shift with which we must grapple. It's about becoming more and more like him in the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God. That's discipleship. So it's one thing to label yourself a Christian. It's one thing for someone to call themselves a Christian. It's another thing to understand the call to discipleship and what it means to follow the Lord Jesus. So from John chapter 12, let's, let's set this up. Let's, let's review very quickly from where Pastor Adam was last week because it prepares the way for where we're going this morning. In John chapter 11, Lazarus is raised from the dead. There are many who see and believe as a result of the raising of Lazarus. And while at the same time, remember, we're moving toward the cross now, at the same time, Religious leaders hear, see, and begin to plot Jesus' execution. You see the revelation that comes. The closer we get to the cross, the more the heart is revealed. And as the chapter closes, we understand that, that the population of Jerusalem is swelling. And it said that the population of Jerusalem could swell five to six times during the season of Passover. As the Jewish people would come to worship. And so it's in that setting that we also find out, because Jesus knows what's going on, that Jesus no longer walked publicly, not in the way that he had before. And then we enter into John chapter 12. This is sacred ground. Six days before the Passover. Jesus, therefore, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus has ra had raised from the dead. And so they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Let's pause and let's set this up. Jesus knows and understands what's coming. He is about to become the Passover lamb, the lamb of God, the lamb that God has 
provided. The sacrifice of all sacrifices. The one to whom all of those Old Testament sacrifices and the shedding of blood. The one to whom all of those had pointed. The Lamb of God. It says he's in Bethany. So he's on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And Lazarus is there around the table. Now, in order to visualize the scene, we have to picture and understand the culture of the day. Because as they're seated at table, they're not seated on a chair. They're lying on their side, normally on the left side, on a pillow on the floor. And you would, they would lie around the table, almost like spokes to a wheel around the table, leaning on a pillow, and you would eat with your right hand. So heads are toward the table, and feet are outside away from the table. And you say, Kelly, why is that a big deal? It's a very big deal for what's about to happen. And it says they're having a dinner for them, for him. So some wonder, like, was this a dinner prepared by Mary and Martha and Lazarus as a thank you for raising Lazarus from the dead? Is Is it a celebration, a thank you, an expression of thanks to Jesus for what he has done? And Martha's serving. Is anybody surprised? But apparently she's worshiping and not complaining because we just move right on, right? From Martha is serving tables and she is there. Lazarus is beside Jesus, but there's a name that hasn't been mentioned right. There's a name that hasn't been mentioned yet. So the scene is there. It is festive. They are eating. And then a moment comes, a sacred moment. And Mary enters the scene, there is a hush that comes over the room, and all eyes are on her and what she's doing, but her eyes are on Jesus. Verse 3, Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. She took a pound of expensive ointment. A pound in those days, if we were to work this out, would be about 12 ounces. This is an extravagant amount, but think about the amount that would be in a a normal Coke can. When we say expensive ointment, this is nard drawn from the plant spikenard. It's from the honeysuckle family. It's found in the foothills of the Himalayas. This is an exquisite thing here and a precious thing. It was famed for its exquisite perfume. It would have released an aroma of spicy musk into the air. It was also used as incense offering in the temple. It was also used to anoint kings and priests. And the aroma permeated the room. There's something about the fragrance and this fragrance that's an expression of worship. Later on, someone in this room says that that could have been sold for about 300 denarii. This is what woke me up. A denarii was a day's wage. So this is 10 months' pay. 
What she is doing and what she has done would translate into about $25,000 in our currency of the day. So when this says expensive ointment, this is expensive ointment. Now, this passage says that, that Mary came and she anointed the feet of the Son of God. There are two parallel passages to this one in two other Gospels that tell this story that say that she anointed his head. And I believe it is very safe and easy to say that I think both of these happened. She anointed his head with this pricey perfume because you would anoint a king on the head. She anoints his feet in humility and submission, worship, awe, delight. And then she lets down her hair and wipes his feet with her hair. It is possible that Martha and Lazarus and Mary had together agreed that this expression of worship would take place and perhaps that Mary would be the appropriate one to anoint. Now, Mary never intended to draw attention to herself, but the object of her worship, highlighting his supreme worth, his beauty, his majesty, his worth, his magnificence. How can one who is gripped by the grace shown by the Son of God adequately lavish anything on him that would match his worth? And it says the house was filled with a fragrance. Reverence and adoration carry with them an aroma of worship. Worship can't be merely contained in the heart. It permeates the life. And here it permeates the room as well. A heart captivated with the presence of the Son of God. John Piper states this regarding this passage. There is no measuring the value of Jesus. There's no quantifying His worth. So there's no way to calculate the cost of love. There's no way to put the heart on a scale and say, this much affection for Jesus and no more. Jesus is inexpressibly wonderful. And Mary is inexpressibly affectionate. They match. And the lowliest part of Jesus, his feet, is infinitely more precious than the highest gift of man, And we're going to talk some more in just a minute about a merry heart. But the disciples are in the room. And a particular disciple speaks up. In in this moment, in this sacred moment of worship and awe, anointing him as king because certainly the priests and the religious leaders are not going to anoint him as Messiah. And worshiping at his feet a voice interrupts. With Mary, we see the aroma of selfless worship. But from Judas, we get the stench of self-serving religion. Look at verse 4. 
But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Do you feel the contrast in this moment? Remember, the closer we get to the cross, the more what's going on in the heart, what's on the inside is revealed. We see Mary's heart. We see Judas's heart. All Mary could see was the worth of a loving, gracious, almighty king. All Judas saw was dollar signs. Not glory, not the king, not the immeasurable worth of the Son of God. Mary seeking to turn attention away from herself to Jesus and his beauty and his majesty. Judas is thinking about himself, not the poor. What we begin to see is Judas in his heart, following Jesus only for selfish benefit. Not worship, not kingdom purposes, because he's going to reject the cross and its message. Look at verses 7 and 8. Because you see, in this expression of worship, in this this expression of self-serving religion, Jesus speaks up to defend her. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Burial. Reference to the imminence of the cross and the timing of the cross. Jesus has mentioned many times to the disciples that he's going to be betrayed that he's going to be turned over to and killed by the hands of the religious leaders and of his coming resurrection. The focus is there. He's articulated this to the disciples. He's not, no one knowing the heart of Jesus would read this passage and say that he denigrates any ministry to the poor. He's not denigrating ministry to the poor. He's elevating the supremacy of the cross because without the cross, we have nothing to really help the poor. Not for ultimate eternal purposes. Matthew 26, 12, the parallel passage brings this in. Jesus says, don't don't speak this way to her because her actions are going to be, whenever the gospel is shared, her actions and this expression of worship will be remembered because she's done this to prepare my body for burial. And it's very likely that when Jesus hung on the cross, he still bore this aroma. It's permeated the room. The other night, was at Panera, had my favorite Frontega chicken sandwich. And my fingernails absorbed the smell of onion. Like later on, I'd take a drink of water. And go, Why does it smell like onion? Because the smell of onions is permeated. My, you ever worked with chlorine? Why is it that it sticks? to That, that aroma is there. And that's a brief handling. She, she has anointed his head and his feet with this very precious ointment. And it's very likely that he bore that aroma of worship even to his death. 
And notice the crowd's curiosity, verses 9 and 10. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Look at this. Unbelievable. Unbelievable the heart of of religion, self-serving religion. Look at verse 10. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Can you, do you see this? This is insanity. Jesus raised him from the dead, so they're going to put him to death. As Like maybe he couldn't do it twice? Is that what they're thinking? Religion blinds, doesn't it? It blinds. We need to ponder for a moment <clears throat> Judas's dark heart. And this is uncomfortable. Pondering this, thinking through this this week has been uncomfortable. But we need to go there. <clears throat> there are many, and, and we can testify to this, many of us that have been with Jesus and walked as disciples of Jesus for a while know that there are many that, that make a profession of faith that doesn't endure. Whether it's the emotions of the moment, they felt something during a time of worship, or maybe it's the popular thing to do, or peer pressure, or to satisfy the expectations of parents, or to enjoy some sense of community. So attaching, calling oneself a Christian, attaching themselves to that community, attracted to some version of Jesus. Maybe it's a version of Jesus of one's own imagination, one who, Jesus loves me and accepts me and never corrects me and never has expectations on me. But these are superficial attachments. Anyone can call themselves a Christian. And sometimes this is just an, in ignorance of what does it mean to, what does the gospel mean and what does it mean to, to follow Jesus? But there's a different type of superficial attachment to Jesus that's revealed in Judas. And it's far darker. The other parallel passages to this one where the gospels, where two other gospels tell this story and they're just looking at it from a little bit different camera angle tell us that immediately after this event, when Jesus speaks of his burial and his death, and that that is on his agenda, immediately it says, Judas went out to seek the chief priests to find out how he might betray him. Immediately. His burial. Burial. It's supposed to be the Messiah. He's supposed to set us up. We're, we're going to rule with him. We're going to wipe out Rome. Burial. Judas goes to the chief priest and says, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they said 30 pieces of silver. In other words, about $1,000. Judas betrayed the son of God for about a thousand bucks. And it says from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Judas only associated with Jesus for his own agenda. And Jesus knew that. And it became more and more exposed as the cross was imminent and lay ahead. All of his frustrations with the words and the teaching and the actions of Jesus culminated and something in him snapped. Now think about this. This is stunning. Judas walked with Jesus for three years. 
He heard him teach. He saw the miracles. He was in his presence. He was one of the 12 for crying out loud. He was prominent. He was visible. And to me, this is even more stunning. On the night that Jesus was to be betrayed, Jesus knelt and washed Judas's feet, looked him in the eyes. What sort of hardened heart could have the Son of God kneel in humility to wash your feet and would then go out and do what he had done? The Bible says the devil had already put it in his heart to betray Jesus. And that night, Jesus says to the disciples, as they're gathered there for that Passover meal, and Jesus is about to become the Passover offering, he says, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Not one disciple said, I bet it's Judas. They all ask what question? Is it me? That's an Academy Award performance. Stunning. Absolutely stunning. What does a Judas heart look like today in today's context? This is intentionally, intentionally, deliberately connecting with Jesus, not as king, not as savior, not as Lord, not to bow and worship, but for a self-serving agenda. It's associating oneself with Jesus to help my business, to boost my number of likes on my page, to further my secret selfish agenda. It keeps me from questions. It gets the approval of the right people. It gets me out of a jam where I've been caught. Maybe it's a health, wealth, prosperity gospel that says if I follow Jesus, then he's going to bless me financially, which means I don't worship Jesus. I worship finances. I worship self. This is a heart that says, I need Jesus to rescue me out of this mess so that I can keep living my life the way that I want to live. It is deliberate. It is calculating. It is is attempting to use Jesus' glory to make self look good, not to worship, but to manipulate. And as with Judas stealing money out of the money bag, there's a difference in the public face and the private life. A distinct, sharp difference. the closer one is brought to the message of the cross and biblical discipleship, the more the heart is revealed. Mary's devotion deepened. She has done this to prepare my body for burial. The cross, the purpose that I've come is arriving. I'm here. I've come for this purpose. And Judas's heart of stone is exposed. Later in John 12, we'll hear the crowds cry, Hosanna! But in John 19, 15, a crowd shouts, crucify. The closer one gets to the message and an understanding and a clear understanding of the cross, the more the heart is revealed. The meaning of the cross, that God is holy, that we are sinful, that we needed a substitute, that we needed to repent and receive the gift of salvation. And the call to the cross, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The closer we get to that message, 
which alone leads to healing, leads to wholeness, leads to true joy, leads to worship, the worship and the delight in the glory of God that we were created to know and experience and live in. The closer we get, the more the heart is exposed. Now, we have to go ahead and talk about Peter for just a moment. Yes, Peter reached a moment calmly coming toward the cross where he denied Jesus. And remember, the disciples fled, but that's different. Because there was a grieving, there was a repentance, and there was a returning. And their faith was even stronger on the other side because it persevered. What does it mean today for the superficial Christian or the self-serving Judas heart? Why do some walk away when life goes sour, when Jesus doesn't meet expectations, when the attention dies down, or when God's word expresses heart for what it really means and what that heart really is, they're out of here. Or they'll look for another version of Jesus that's comfortable. For Judas, Jesus isn't acting the way that he should. What is this about a Messiah who dies and he's out of here? The remainder of John 12, you see the blindness of religion revealed as the religious leaders are not only plotting to kill Jesus, but Lazarus. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, revealing that he's the Messiah to whom Zacharias' prophecy pointed. And for now, the crowd shout Hosanna. Then we find out in verses 20 through 22 that Greeks, as we're moving toward the cross, now Greeks, those outside of, of the, the, the Jewish culture, those outside are drawn to Jesus as well. And John gives us a glimmer, a glimpse, that this is not a message just for the Jewish people, but it's going to reach the nations. Verses 37 through 42 say that many saw the signs and refused to bow. And then in verses 44 through 45, this is significant because this reveals the heart and the redemptive plan of the Father. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me has seen him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my word, words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me does not receive my words, has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father has sent, who has sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Wow. The aroma of selfless worship. And I don't know about you, but I've had enough of Judas. I want to know, how do I have that heart? How do I see Jesus the way that Mary and Martha and Lazarus saw Jesus to the point that 
There is no expense, there's no expression of worship that could be sufficient to elevate and to display his supreme worth. We've said it before, we'll say it again. It all begins with a response to the revelation and message of Jesus and the cross. We embrace the message. Jesus came to remind us that God, his Father, is holy, that my sin separates me from God, that the Passover Lamb of God is my sinless, sin-bearing substitute, bearing all of my guilt and my shame. And a merry heart responds to the cross. Worship is evoked as we humbly embrace Jesus as King and bow at his feet in worship. Now, this is what's so important. To understand a merry heart, we must understand this is not something that naturally can be worked up. It is a work of God. It is not natural. So I'm going to borrow the words of John Piper. I love this from his book, Come, Lord Jesus. This is so helpful. And he's speaking of a love and a delight in Jesus' second coming, but I think it applies for us in this moment as well. Love for Christ's second coming is not merely a natural fascination with an astounding event. Listen to this. This has followed me. Rather, it is a Christ-enthralled longing for his presence and his glorification. That Christ-enthralled longing is a supernatural experience. It's a spiritual affection of the heart that the fallen, sinful human heart cannot produce. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. None of us will ever discern or embrace the greatness and beauty and value of the coming of Christ without the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. So we pray for it. As, we, as we're in the season, as we're moving toward four weeks from now, as we, we remember the resurrected Jesus in this coming season, what if we prayed for that? Jesus, I want to see you for who you are. What if we cried out with Moses, show me your glory? What if we prayed with the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1, God, not only for us, but for our church, would you open the eyes of our hearts? Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the heart and the beauty and the majesty of Jesus. What if we spent these coming days marinating in Colossians 2, where Paul talks about the Spirit's revealing of Christ as a treasury in whom all the blessings of heaven reside? What if we longed like John the Baptist? And what if our heart was, he must increase and I must decrease? This kind of worship comes over time, exposure, a surrendered, as a surrendered disciple, with prayer, with God's word, and even being inspired by the lives of brothers and sisters in Christ who are with us now and who have gone before 
to go, I want to love and know and delight in Jesus the way that they do. God uses the body of Christ to inspire us as well that we might worship the king in humility and lavish worship. Lord, thank you that you said wherever your gospel is proclaimed, this act of worship would be told. Jesus, would you give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you? that we together would be captivated by Christ and encourage one another to look up so that we can see you in the midst of some stormy seas that maybe some of us are riding or some incredible understanding that is beginning to, to blossom and erupt in our minds of all that you are for us through the cross and through the gospel. Lord, for someone here who maybe has heard about the gospel and heard about the, Christ, the, the cross and the Christ, but never responded, Spirit of God, open their eyes that they may bow in humility and worship and receive the gift of salvation, forgiveness that's found in the cross. Spirit of God, work in our midst now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Stand with me as we sing together a closing song. Purify my heart. Purify my heart. Touch me with your cleansing fire. Thank you, ladies, and Kevin, and Luke.
for leading us in beautiful music. Thank you, Kelly, for uh, trying to open our eyes to uh, view that narrative again and draw us to a enthusiastic and generous worship. We trust that we'll carry that out of here today. A couple of announcements. Uh, I'm uh, Matt Pollock. That's not an announcement, but uh, I'm on staff here uh, at Grace and uh, headmaster of the academy. Uh, just a couple of items. We're very excited about our Easter egg hunt that'll be coming up on March 23rd. Uh, big news, after several years, uh, we're going to bring it back to our very own facilities. Uh, we're going to be on the soccer football field over at Shalliford Road. Uh, we'll make all the arrangements so that that can happen. So that's kind of exciting in and of itself. However, uh, very important is that we believe this is an outreach opportunity. And uh, we have already put up some uh, flyers at Choices Pregnancy Center. Uh, we want to invite families that come through those doors to join us. Uh, we think it might be a great way uh, to share Christ's love to those families, uh, to share the gospel message with them. Uh, in the bulletin, you can find all the details about this event. There's a QR code. You can scan it, register your family. Let us know that you'll be joining us so that we have a lot of plans. There's a lot of eggs already in hand, I am told. You know, not real eggs, those plastic eggs, because we put candy in those little eggs. And so I am told that we need to keep the candy coming. Uh, you can, of course, you can also buy pre-filled eggs at the store, bring those along, uh, but uh, small individual candies that we can stuff into those empty plastic eggs. There is a uh, collection box out in the foyer, so uh, drop that candy off. That'll help us for that event. Uh, Kelly already mentioned uh, the Easter tracks. If you're one of those who shares tracks, those are out there in the foyer. Uh, also, uh, you've been hearing about our software, our church management software, Shelby Next. And uh, if you're needing some help with that, once again, the ladies, uh, in particular Pam and Laura, I think are already set up back there near the sound booth. Uh, if you need some help with that, getting your information in for the church directory, please do that. Uh, pretty soon we're going to be getting through that directory, checking for anybody with missing information, maybe need a photo, so we'll just take one from somewhere and put it in there. You may want to get your own picture taken uh, or in, input. So um, make sure you get that done. And then last and probably not least at all for some of you, reminding you that daylight savings time begins next Sunday. So check, you know, make sure you, uh, make sure you set your clocks back. I mean, forward, one hour forward, spring forward. I'm reminding myself by repeating it. Uh, next week so that uh, we're all here in a timely fashion. So our discipleship hour begins at 11 o'clock. That's just a few minutes from now, but uh, we have a fellowship time. Coffee, snacks, all the good stuff are in the fellowship hall. Go through those doors, head to the back, and uh, some of our folks have been uh, very diligent setting that up. So again, thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you hopefully back in our fellowship time.